Well, welcome to The Raw Roast. We have real conversation about faith and life over a good cup of coffee. It's good to have you again uh, as our listeners. My name is Tucker Anderson. I'm one of the campus pastors here, and I'm here today with uh, Sean Winters, who's our senior pastor. And Sean, you've been going through a sermon series now for quite some time on the the Book of Romans. And the last couple of weeks, you've hit on some challenging topics, uh, particularly around areas of God's sovereignty and election, but also human free will and yeah. uh, how, how do we how, and how we make sense of these yeah. these uh, these things what um, what have you learned in your own research maybe in, you know in preparing for the sermon series but just in other research as well how do you think through God's sovereignty is election but then also human responsibility how do these the, how do these fit together those are great questions I, I really appreciate that Tucker and and it has been um, just a, a real treat, you know. There, for many, many years, I was like, I'm not sure I want to tackle Romans, and then how do you do it? Because it's going to take a long time. And um, you know, as I was studying even this summer, I decided to kind of slow down just a little bit. It seems like the church really appreciates this study, and we've enjoyed kind of working our way through some of the some of the smaller pieces and kind of just working our way slowly through Romans. So. Um, I was at a conference in the spring, and and one pastor said he was preaching through Romans, and he just skipped nine and ten. He just passed right over it, went on. Someone called him on it, and uh, he said, "Someday I'll go back and do it." Um, but I have found that it's really, really good. There's great stuff in there, and um, one of the challenges is this issue of the sovereignty of God, the election of God, the predestination, the the, the idea that God chooses before time or before, you know, human will kind of drops into effect. And yet, all the way through Romans, there's a call to godliness and holy living. And so those those competing, and, and that's kind of what I've shared in the weekend services. Like, this is a, you know, I believe strongly in God's sovereignty. Uh, Paul teaches it clearly. Peter talks about it all the way through Scripture. Isaiah was a huge advocate for, you know, God's way and God's will and God's a decision maker, he's a sovereign God. And yet we are to respond and live holy lives. And so uh, as much as I can, I, I say it's, the answer is yes, it, it's true. God is sovereign and, and somehow stands outside of time. That's one of the th- things I kind of wrestle with is what does that mean that God stands outside of time and and so does he see it and then call it? Does he call it then see it? Anyway, um, you know, how, how that sovereignty and free will work together uh, is, well, let's wrangle with it a little bit. Let's have some fun. In your message on Sunday, you mentioned that a lot of Calvinists today are more Calvinistic than Calvin was. <laughs> yeah. What uh, Maybe expound upon that a little bit. What did you mean when you mentioned that? Yeah, and, and I think, uh, again, probably – you know what John Calvin advocated for was a clear sovereignty of God, and had a, a wanted to be very biblical and wanted to be very strong in the sense of that that when when we're told how God makes choices, how God determines outcomes, that God stirs in people's hearts, um, that we don't ignore that. Um, and then there's this extreme Calvinism, and I haven't met too many of these. So once in a while, they're caricatures, but you know where it says that we. What, how we live doesn't matter. There's no need to do evangelism because God's going to choose, and anyone God chooses, he's going to bring to faith, um, irrespective of how we act or respond. And 
John Calvin would not support that at all. You know, that, that evangelism is still very, very important and holy living is still very important and how we live does matter. So that was my, <laughs> that was my comment. So let's go, let's go to the, the first passage here and uh, let's talk through God's predestination election. Yeah. Do, do you want to look at uh, Romans 9? Sure. I'll pick a passage. You pick a passage. That sounds good. If you're listening on the road, um, just have to listen on. But if you're listening to this podcast sitting there, let, you know, turn with us and look at this text. Um, so in, in Romans chapter 9, we talk about God's sovereign choice. And um, you know, he starts out saying it's not as though God's word had failed, for not all who descended from Israel are Israel, nor because there's descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it's not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but it's the children of promise who regarded. So this is how it started. You know, he, he says, Here, here's an action in history. Here's a choice in history. Uh, verse 10, not only this, but Rebecca's children were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac, yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by his works, but by him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. And then it goes down and he says, you know, God's going to have mercy on whom he has mercy. He's going to have compassion on who he has compassion. It doesn't depend on human desire, but on God's mercy. And then we get into the whole thing of God, you know, hardens hearts. Um, so, Paul presents this idea of the sovereignty of God that God chooses, gives a couple historical examples of where God chose before life. It wasn't, it was before they were even born that he chose. Um, salvation doesn't depend upon human desire, but on God's mercy, that he hardens hearts, that he shows mercy and compassion. And then someone asked, then why does God still blame us for who's able to resist his will? And his answer is, hey, don't talk back to God. <laughs> so, you know, we, we, we get a clear statement here that Paul has this high view of God. And I think that's a real value, an important thing I've picked up from Calvinism. John Calvin is that God is sovereign, that God is a, a chooser, that God determines, um, and that God stands outside of history, and that he moves kings and kingdoms. He moves people and, and situations um, he's responsive to our prayers that we are expected to follow after God. Um, but, but I, I don't want to ever let go of the sovereignty of God. And I think you're right. I think a lot of times people think of, you know, predestination as sort of the hallmark of Calvinism, but I think we need to go a little step further or, you know, a step back, take a step back. I really do think it's God's sovereignty, as you mentioned, that is really the the foundational doctrine upon which Reformed theology is built. That mm-hmm. without that, you don't have predestination and these other yeah. key doctrines that I'd like to touch on in a little bit. But I do think God's sovereignty is is yeah. foundational. And and, and it, there's challenges to that, right? Um, there's the problem of evil. You know, how do how do bad things happen when there's a good God? And the most common response is to just let go of the sovereignty of God. Um, but but Scripture doesn't allow that. It's just it's not it's not the way the Word reads, and it's not what's been revealed to us in Scripture. And so we hold on to the sovereignty of God, and we wrestle 
we wrestle hard against the things in this world that don't go um, according to his plan. And, and Satan is real and we have this kingdom at war and, and, uh, and yet God is sovereign and for some reason he um, hasn't vanquished evil yet. Someday he will. But um, yeah, how does I, that, I appreciate that. How does that play out practically in our lives so we could think at, at a, at a, on, a big, uh, on a bigger scale such as what's going on in Afghanistan right now? Yeah. But we could also bring it home, um, you know, bring it down to a more personal level of uh, family issues, uh, work issues. How does God's sovereignty help us think through some of these challenges, you know, you mentioned the problem of evil. How does it help yeah. us think through the problem of problem of evil from a personal standpoint? You, you know, I think that um, you know Satan and the, I mean, sorry, uh, Satan's attack upon Jesus uh, throughout his earthly ministry. You know, Christ continually went back to um, times with God, like he, he had to continually reconnect Satan. <laughs> you know, and he he didn't have uh, omniscience. He didn't know all that was going to unpack, but I had a sense that he he knew where they were in the redemption story, and he was working hard against Christ. And Christ found solace in his time with God and continued to to seek God and and walk closely with God. There, there was anguish. There was sadness. Um, in in our struggle in this life, there's things that happen. There's struggles that happen. We think about the believers in Afghanistan. We think about um, you know around the globe. Southeast Asia, some of the um, oppression of state against um, and and the persecution that happens to believers, and and we pray, man, we pray, and sometimes miracles take place. Sometimes God intervenes, and other times people die, and and it is, um, you know, we we don't we don't know how or when God's going to act, but we know that God is near. And that God um, sees, and God is walking beside these people, and and yet Satan is kill, killing, maiming, and destroying. Hmm. One passage that I like to go to when it comes to God's sovereignty and His uh, and predestination, um, Acts chapter four, verses twenty-three. We'll go through twenty um, twenty-eight. I heard one pastor once say that. This, you know, here this is the moment of greatest evil on display, greatest rebellion, the crucifixion of Jesus. And yet here we see in Acts chapter four, this is something that that God planned by his hand and his will that this take place. And when we stop to think about that, that's quite a shocking yeah. statement. But a radical view of God's sovereignty and predestination that the believers had in the early church. Um, do you think that this is a maybe a more radical view of predestination and God's sovereignty than many Christians have today in our evangelical churches? Well, I think so. I think it's, you know, it may be something that we, we would say, okay, I, we come across believers who believe in a strong sovereignty of God, mm-hmm. um, but practically they just think, what in the world? You know, how did that happen? And yeah. and God, did you see that? And and um and, and see not the you know the God piece of this. Um, 
You know, the very next verse says, you know, now Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through your name. Hmm. And, and so it's, it's saying, hey, God, this is, you know, nothing comes to us that isn't come through through God. And somehow he knew beforehand it was coming towards us. Yeah. And so we enter a situation, I think practically we say, hey, this didn't surprise you, God. And and you'll hear people say that, that this, as they pray, that, that this didn't surprise God. But God, we need your help. We need your assistance. If you allowed this to come, um, give us strength to endure. So a beautiful prayer for the Afghani people. Lord, you know, help them, assist them, free them, um, allow them to get out. But Lord, if in your sovereignty, that is not your will for them, give them a peace, give them a quietness. If if this is their moment where they'll step into eternity because of the evil that is there and, and the awful things that the Taliban will do and the radicals will do against them. You know, and it's trusting in this high sovereignty of God. And then it's, it's, you know, crying out to the throne of heaven for his assistance. And so, yeah, I think it is a little bit radical. I think it's radical for all of us because we want to see that if a car hits us, you know, what was that crazy driver thinking? Yeah. Um, if we, we have to pay a big tax bill at the end of the year, you're going, ah, the government, you know? And I mean, we want to just kind of see the, the horizontal, um, you know, house problems, whatever it is. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Lord, you know, you, you saw this coming, so I need your help. What if someone comes into your office and asks, you know, they're going through some kind of tragedy. Yeah. Um, you know, you could fill in the blank. What if someone asks you, did God predestine this to take place? How would you ask, how would you answer that question to someone who poses that to you? Well, I would say God is not the author of evil and God does not cause the sin. Um, but there's, there's this allowance, it seems, in the, in the explanation of Scripture where God allows things to come into us. Um, so again, I... I I feel most comfortable in saying, hey, this situation that you're facing didn't surprise God. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, we have a hard time saying, hey, God chose that. When we, Then we assume that God's the author of it. Mm-hmm. So if someone is facing a tragic experience of a loss of life or something, we say, well, you know, God knew it ahead of time. He's not surprised by it. God didn't take the life of your loved one um, you know, it, in most situations, it, it's there's other causes. It's it's a broken world. It's broken people. Um, and so then we, how do we how do we walk through? How do we hold on to the sovereignty of God? How do we hold on to the love and care of God in the midst of really deep hurt? Um, and I I just don't think it helps to say, man, I God didn't know about that. that that's a surprise and a shock to him and. He's wringing his hands as much as you and I are. Yeah, it just doesn't seem to be fair with Scripture, and it as difficult as that is to think through in those moments. I think it's important that we think biblically about it. You're listening to the raw roast, and I'm having a conversation today with Pastor Sean on a a heavier topic, uh, one of uh, God's predestination uh, and sovereignty, and how does this again? What are these terms? How does this practically play out in our life? Um, and uh, one of the things that I go back to is Scripture often presents um, and holds key truths 
and holds them in tension. They're not in conflict with one another. Right. They're not contradictory, but it often holds things in tension and doesn't give us a it doesn't always give us a resolution to some of these key things that it holds in tension. Something that we like. I mean, we don't like to have we don't like to have that dissonant tension. chord just yeah. held there. Uh-huh. Um, but oftentimes I think scripture does that. And I think too our like, as you mentioned God's sovereignty is predestination and and also human responsibility and um, that our choices have real consequences, and, and I don't think it gives us. Uh, and I'd love your thoughts on this. I don't think it gives us necessarily a, a resolution to how these two things work together, but it presents both of them that our actions have real consequences. If we, you know, if we have if we drink too much and go get in our car and cause a car accident and mm-hmm. cause a death, I mean that that's a real consequence. Yeah. Um, for them and for you. I mean, the implications is just, yeah, there's an evil because of poor choices you made. But then we have God's sovereignty mm-hmm. over that situation as well. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't catch them by surprise. Um, so that's that's something I don't think we like to sit. We, we want to have a clear yeah. and cut answer. I don't think well, there is necessarily. I like that, um, Tucker, that the explanation that there's a tension that we need to hold. It's not a problem that we can solve. And and that's all through Scripture. So it's it's marbled in there. We we have the triunity of God, where you know Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and yet we're monotheistic. It's one God. Yeah. And and, and that's a something that's really hard to explain. <laughs> but it's a tension that we hold. It's not yeah. a problem we can solve. And you know, people have tried to say, well, it's you know, it's like here's the example. Here's the ex-, and and it, they, everything falls short yeah. of explaining it. They, I mean, Jesus not being, he's not 50% God, 50% yeah. man, he's 100% God, 100% man. And that's another one of Excellent. those yeah. tensions that we don't, we can't fully explain that mystery. Yeah. And that's one of the things, that, that's why I think creeds are so helpful when we think of some of the classic, classic Christian creeds. I think oftentimes they put boundaries on what is true, what we would call Christian orthodoxy, hmm. but doesn't necessarily explain the mystery. Yeah. And I think that's perhaps where we should live and wrestle with some of these hard truths is understand what are the boundary markers. And if we cross that line, we're no longer uh, swimming in Christian orthodoxy. Yeah, uh, We're outside the bounds. So what are those boundary markers and how do we, how do we exercise our faith within those? So that's kind of the, that's where I've landed with some of these really hard, uh, difficult doctrines that are often held in tension. Yeah. And I think that's a really wise thing for everyone to think through and just say, hey, what are those boundary markers? What are those things that that Scripture lays out clearly? And, you know, you, you get a hold of or Google one of those, um, you know, foundational statements, um, those creeds, and just say, what, what what is it talking about and what boundary markers did really wise people come up with, wrestle over, um, it's from a different culture. It's from a different time, but man, they speak down through history for us. One of the acronyms that uh, Reformed theologians or, or Calvinists mm-hmm. will typically speak about is that of tulip, and I would consider myself as holding a five-point uh, Calvinist position, or all five points of this tulip acronym. Okay. So there's the first one is total depravity, which is um, essentially emphasizes that there, we we don't have the Free will to choose, yeah, God, and that's Ephesians two. We're dead in our transgressions. We're dead in our transgressions and, yeah. and our but sins. But God, <laughs> but God, 
then you have unconditional election that God chooses those whom he saves apart from any of their yeah apart from them um then there's limited atonement which i think maybe a better way of describing that is is definite atonement that Christ's atonement is is definitive for those whom he saves right which is um, the the challenge of that is that throughout scripture it keeps saying all god yeah. you know Christ first john 2 2 came that the whole world might be saved yeah <laughs> you know and so the, the understanding of is is somehow god's or is christ's death ineffectual if he dies for people who don't accept it and so that's the that's the challenge okay go on sorry no, that's good irresistible grace is the next one i think of romans 8 29 to 30 which we've already you've already gone through in your sermon series but those whom god um you know he those whom yeah, he elects. Foreknew, he for, he yeah. elected. Yep. Yeah. And then so it he moved him along. It feels very uh, irresistible in that irresistible. sense. Irresistible, right? Yeah. We can't. When God stirs, God moves, and that's a challenge. Even okay, go on. Okay. Per, and then the last one, perseverance of the saints. So I think go. of uh, you know, Jesus and John. John chapter ten talks about you know all those whom the uh, Father's given me will will come to me. You know yeah. he doesn't lose any of his sheep. Um, I think perseverance of the saints is one that a lot of Christians like. Yeah. <laughs> if they of those five, yeah, they like, and then that's, that's the probably one that the they like. Dividing point between, you know, from more of a Wesleyan background yes. um, versus a Baptistic perspective, and and this is if some of people who are listening aren't familiar. So five point Calvinists, you have sometimes people say I'm a three point, and that's what I tend to say. I'm maybe a three point Calvinist. Uh, there's a couple of them that I'm just not certain on. Um, and then the, the people I'm worried about are her seven point Calvinists because there's only five points. And those are the, <laughs> the super Calvinists that, um, you, you know, those are, those are really good. All of those are strong theological perspectives that need to be wrestled with and not, I, it not grabbed hold of without thought nor discounted mm-hmm. without consideration. Um, what are the what are the ones that you find to be the most challenging of those five? I'll just read them again here for our listeners. So there's, there's total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement or definite atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. So again, the acronym being TULIP. Yeah. What's, what's the one or two that you find to be the most challenging? Um, you, you know, I think. From the beginning, uh, when I became exposed to this in college as a system of thought, um, the limited atonement was the one that I had to wrestle with the most and you know, push back against my professor the most in, at Biola University in my Bible classes. So, you know, I, in fact, I was, I was reading, um, studying for chapter Romans chapter 10 this week. And again, they used the, it the all language, you know, like Christ came. God saved. And so let, let me just read a couple here. So it's a salvation, uh, awesome passage, Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth you profess and are saved. As scripture says, and the quote here is, anyone, again, the anyone like anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Um, verse 13, for, and it quotes, um, here, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So we have an everyone and anyone kind of language. Um, now, w- w- you know, one of the things I realize is that there are some, 
no matter how much we explain how exposed they are, as in the Jewish frustration here, Paul has, you know, they'll resist. Sorry, they will not listen, they will not respond, they will not surrender. And so, not everyone will be saved. There is a limited atonement in the fact that only some will be saved in this great creation. And it, you know, it stirs me, it breaks my heart. I just wonder, you know. And, and, and so the, the theological perspective is that Christ, you know, his atonement only paid for those who are saved, which is true in the fact that that's all it can, you know. And if we have a sovereignty of God, anyway, I just, I wrestle with that. Yeah. So that's kind of where, that's my tension, um, and that's where <laughs> I land. If it's a, if it, it feels like the ugly side of the sovereignty of God that says He, Christ, didn't die for some, and yet in reality, I know that the atonement only extends to those who receive it. Um, you know, His grace applies to the whole world. You know, we we are all recipients. It rains on the righteous and the unrighteous, but yeah, can, this, no, this is a challenge. I, so this. The way that I've thought through this is yeah. that the call is extended to all. I mean, there's the, and this is where Matthew chapter 11 has been helpful to me. So Jesus says, all things have been entrusted. This is verse 27 of Matthew 11. All things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him. Hmm. And then the very next verse, he says, come to me. All of you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. So yeah. there we have another tension where, at least in my mind, where Jesus says no one can come to him. Um, uh, uh, no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him. So no one knows the Father um, except those whom Jesus chooses to reveal yeah. the Father to. And then... He issues just this blanket call in the next verse to come to me. So the, the way I've thought about limited atonement or definite atonement is the call is extended to all, but Jesus only lays his life down for his sheep, the sheep being those who are, yeah, uh, you know, effective, sheep of his pen. The who, sheep of his, yeah. yeah. It, but this clear sense the of, call still goes out. I mean, our evangelistic call is still goes out to, yeah. to all. And, and in that point, too, we're not in the place of God. We don't sit in that seat to be able to say, oh, God has chosen right. this person, not this person. Right. That's where it's a blanket call. But digging into the nuances of the atonement, that's where I would say Jesus only lays his life down for his sheep hmm. and not those outside of his, outside of the pasture. Yeah. So that, but it's certainly not an easy, No. it certainly it, doesn't make it any easier. That's just how I've wrestled through yeah. that particular doctrine. Which is a which is a helpful yeah when you think through the call as separate from the effectual transformation yeah of that call because otherwise I feel like we have to say that if Jesus lays his life down for those who are not his sheep then his atonement is actually ineffective for right. some <laughs> and I don't yeah. that's a place that I have a heart would have a greater challenge of going. Than saying it's his atonement is entirely effective because he lays his life down for his sheep, even though the call goes out to everybody. Yeah, 
All right. So let me just do this practically here because um, Tucker and I are just having fun yeah. thinking theoretically <laughs> and abstractly. But um, I was in seminary and I went up to uh, my professor and I said, hey, you know, I, I tend to, to very much um, align myself with a Calvinistic perspective on mm-hmm. life. But when I present the gospel, I, I feel like I'm turning into an Arminian. Yeah. Um, so, so I said, how do I do that? And he said, well, listen to Billy Graham, how he presents the gospel. And, you know, Billy Graham very clearly says God is calling. So in his, in his good saying, yeah. God is calling. And so, you know, I, I sense all through the room, you know, God is stirring right now. The spirit's moving. Will you respond to him? And so that's, that's changed how I do, you know, so it's a sense that God is at work and God, we are completely depraved. We are not able to save ourselves. God for acts, he, he, he moves ahead of time, our salvation. So, so in a clear sense, as, as you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, as people in our congregation are, are going through their days with their children and their extended family and neighbors and coworkers, that, that as we you know, try to build bridges and try to present the gospel or tell the story of Jesus, um, God is going ahead of us and God is at work. Mm-hmm. So it just, it, you know, it doesn't depend upon us. God has called us to participate in. Um, I'm not going to save anyone. Yeah. Uh, only Christ can. And so I, I stand up and that helps me with, you talked about the courage to ask, invite someone to, to the, um, Oh, what's the, it? Al- alpha. the alpha class? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It gives me courage. You know what? God's in charge of this. And I just want to invite you. Hey, this is valuable to me. It's important to me. I got to tell you my story. And, and God is going to move and God is going to stir and God is going to act. And, you know, I believe that yeah. with my whole heart. I totally agree. And I think one of the things that uh, just some of these key theological things we've been talking about today and, uh, one of the things that has done for me is it freed me, I think, for evangelism that if we're not responsible to do the saving work, if our responsibility is to preach the gospel message. Right, which takes enough courage in and of itself. Which takes enough courage in and of yeah. itself, then if someone rejects the gospel message, if someone doesn't want to hear it, or if somebody chooses to come to Christ, yeah. it's comforting to know that this is completely a work of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. In that person's life, and that my sole job is just to be faithful with the gospel yeah. message. Um, and I think even as a you know one who's um, I would consider myself fully ref- reformed theologically, yeah. that I can say this is the gospel, and we're called to respond yeah. in a certain way. And I think we can. We, I, I think we could say that, and not because I don't know. If, I mean, I don't think again. I don't think we're in. We're not. We're, we certainly aren't in God's place to say. Well, God has called this person. He hasn't called that person. But we can say that the call of the gospel is to repent yeah. and trust in Christ. And that's the call for everybody. Yeah. Um, and, and, and some I think, will accept and some will reject it. Yeah. There's lots and lots of people who are called who have yet not responded. And yeah. um, boy, there, there's no time like the present. This is the time. This is the moment to act. And um, yeah, we, we ought to do all we can to see people hear, know, and understand Love and proclaim Jesus Christ. Well, I think that's a good place to end. Okay. Um, thanks for your time. This is this has yeah. been fun having. Well, I had to. It was predetermined, more. right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he had no choice. No, in the no. I enjoy it, Tucker. Every time. Thank you. 
Well, I want to thank you as our listeners. If you would like more information about Calvary Church, you can visit us at calvarychurch.us. We have a page on our website uh, where you can see all of our past podcast episodes. And if you would like us to address particular questions in the future, you can email us at podcast at calvarychurch.us. Uh, you can check us out online on Sunday mornings. You can check us out in person. Our service times are at 9 o'clock and 10.30. We look forward to having you join us again next week.